Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. Now keep in mind that there has been no official confirmation of any of this from the Russian government. Uh, confirmation of what? That any of this happened. Uh, confirmation of what happened. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Duncan. Yo! I'm not going to ask you how you're doing this time. Because <laughs> then it's... you might ask me how I'm doing, and yeah. I just don't want to go there. It ain't that kind of party, man. If anyone's on our Instagram, then they know kind of what Jody and I are dealing with right now. But we're just going to put that aside and do some episodes and have a little fun because it's a nice break from everything else. Hi. It's true. We've had some suggestions lately that have been for AMA-type episodes, mm. Ask Us Anything, and some people have asked some questions about our past and how we got started, how we met. So if you have any questions, feel free to add to the AMA. You can message us at midnightfactsforinsomniacs at gmail.com or via Instagram. That's usually the easiest way to do it. Most people have been messaging me through Instagram lately. Truly, it's it's the quickest way to get all the Shane. Um, I don't have Instagram because I still operate like a boomer, but uh, I'm, I'm trying. I, I am trying. Not growing, just trying. So this episode was a very popular suggestion. Mm. Among the listeners who suggested it were Tim T.R. Robinson. We've had suggestions from him before. And Lena and Leviathan. Good friend Leviathan. Oh, our dear biblical friend Leviathan. How are you? The suggestion was forbidden dangerous locations on earth oh this is so much fun the scariest craziest deadliest places that you could possibly not want to go and hopefully won't end up please tell me we get to go play in chernobyl we're not going to do chernobyl we'll do something adjacent chernobyl adjacent <laughs> chernobyl adjacent i want to see the real estate filling for that <laughs> this, this is not chernobyl this is Chernobyl adjacent. Yeah. It's cheap, but not irradiated. You can see three-eyed wolves from your porch, but they won't actually come in the house. But are safe, mostly. Locked doors at night. And we will probably cover Chernobyl at some point. We talked about we're going to do another nuclear episode where we're going to talk about nuclear disasters and things. We'll cover Three Mile Island and Chernobyl and Fukushima. So that's all in the future. Fair enough. Let's start at Ila. De Quimada Grande. I don't know what Quimada is. I should have looked it up. But it's big. Uh, island of something big. It's not a Quimada Pequeño. No. Quimada Grande. I like grande. to roll my R's grande. to sound more. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it doesn't work. It's still gringo. No one's fooled. I mean, gringo. Although I do <laughs> love doing that Rico Suave. Rico. <laughs> suave. I, uh, yeah, you're probably all too young to actually remember that song, but please do YouTube it. It's worth it. Don't. Mm -mm. <laughs> YouTube, blame it on the rain instead from oh, a previous episode. Yeah, okay. Much better song. Yeah, yeah. Okay, where were we? Ila de Queimada Grande. It's a scenic island off the coast of Brazil. The climate is pleasant. Aye. Uh, the terrain is picturesque mm. and varied, ranging from rocky outcroppings to patches of rainforest. Hmm. The island also plays host to a large population of migratory birds. Oh, pretty. If you saw a picture of the island, you might want to visit. You might. Especially because pictures of the island rarely capture the dense population of deadly venomous pit vipers. 
They are hard to capture in the average helicopter drive-by. By picture is the only way I would want to try to capture a deadly, a deadly pit viper. Pit viper. In fact, the island harbors an estimated one to five vipers per square meter. Wait, wait a second. That's that's you step off a boat, and you're like, ah, ah. Well, now. See, the thing is, I believe that the way it works is that it's an average, right? So yeah. there are, like, areas that are just teeming with them. There'd be, like, a square meter that's just full of pit vipers. And then there's probably quite a few square meters that have zero pit vipers. But you average that out. This is why you're way smarter than me. And, and this makes total sense. Um, but I didn't want to explain that because it makes it sound better when it's, like, there's actually one to five per meter. Sounds terrifying. It sounds like they are carpeting the island, which is not the case. Well, you see, you'd think that. But the way my paranoid-ass mind works, I'm more terrified by the fact that there's not pit vipers every five seconds because I could step off the boat and be like, that's a bunch of snakes. Now I'm getting back in this boat. I'm cool. <laughs> this is like, come in. Come in, gringo. Look at the verdant forest in front of you. Come in. Look at all these migratory birds. Ah, they're so beautiful. Take a peek, Tior. So these are a particularly lethal species of snake known hmm. as the golden lancehead. Infamous for their fast-acting venom, capable of melting flesh around the area of the bite. Ow. That makes Ebola sound comfortable. Jesus. There's nowhere I would want to be bitten and melted. Maybe on, the, like, the calluses on my toes? And uh, I mean, maybe? So the snakes initially migrated to the island when it wasn't yet an island. Mm. At the time, it was a peninsula connected to the mainland. But rising sea levels submerged the lowest areas and left only 106 elevated acres above water. The snakes were cut off from the mainland, and they evolved in isolation, becoming the island's apex predator and adapting to a diet of aforementioned migratory birds. All right, good on them, evolutionarily speaking. Still don't want to visit the island, but nicely done, snakes. Yeah, snakes that catch flying things. That's kind of terrifying. I mean, I, they catch them when they're landed, but that's still crazy that it attacks a bird. I've never seen a snake take down a bird. I have, but only because I watch way too many nature things trying to go to sleep. You pretend to be a branch, they land, humph. Yeah, that makes sense. Done. It's not like the flying snakes, which actually exist, um, and they actually, they're like flying squirrels. They just gracefully glide. Mm -hmm. They flatten. Yes. This is why animals, other than humans, haven't really learned to communicate, mm. because the word would spread. <laughs> there wouldn't be a migratory bird nope. population for very long. They'd be like, Bill? Bill? Wait... I don't know. He's sitting on that uh, tree branch. Where's the branch? Steve! 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 I, you know what, guys? I don't think we should rest here anymore. We'll find alternate resting places on our migratory route. Yeah. yeah Maybe yeah. not the place where half of us disappear. We always feel a little lighter as a group flying away from that. Always a bit more wind resistance when we take <laughs> off. It's so weird. There is also a species of non-venomous snake living on this island, on what has appropriately become known as Snake Island. Mm -hmm. The non-venomous snake gets less publicity. Of course. And he's, honestly, he's probably not super thrilled to be trapped on that island either. <laughs> Everyone else owns switchblades or guns. And you're that one dude's like, I'm a pacifist. I, I like almond milk. You have like 50 garter snakes just keeping a very low profile on this Snake Island. <laughs> I'm like, yes. In 1983, the Brazilian Navy closed the island to the public, and the island is currently considered unfit for human visitation. Not habitation. Visitation. Not don't try to build a house there. Just don't go. Maybe don't go. Don't even look at this island. 
don't definitely don't podcast about it. That's how dangerous this island is. We need to move on. It's, uh, we shouldn't. I, I mean, I'm looking for snakes right now. <laughs> Not that anyone is aching to visit, I think. Most people probably... I mean, Snake Island sounds super tempting, but I think I'm going to... I would like to go to cuddly, furry rodent island, maybe, or, mm -hmm. or small primate island. Next location. Oh, we'll just go up anyway. Okay. Remember our episode about the devil? The devil, yes. In that episode, we discussed hell. Mm -hmm. And we might have even made light of the idea of a fiery inferno located deep in the bowels of the earth. I would like to take this opportunity to officially apologize to Lord Satan... And or Dante. <laughs> and also Ed Kemper for calling him a bitch on that one episode. I've really overextended myself on this podcast. <laughs> I have regrets. I can't take that one back, man. Keep my mouth shut. Kemper got a long memory. Kemper and Satan. They're not the enemies I want. Unwise. Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> so anyway, I'm apologizing to Satan for mocking him. Uh -huh. Because as far as I can tell, hell is real. And to access it, you just have to head over to Turkmenistan. Where I planned my next vacation. Why didn't you tell me this before I bought the tickets, goddamn? It's about 7,000 miles. It's a little bit of a trek. Hmm. So, like, I don't know how eager you are to access hell. Or access it early, should I say. You're, <laughs> you're going to end up there either way. So, might as well save the airfare and just wait a few years. It's, it's all true. <laughs> you don't have a choice. Should I warn my wife? But when you do inevitably find yourself damned for eternity, yes. you're most likely going to reach your new home via the Door to Hell, a giant flaming pit in the middle of the desert in Turkmenistan. Jeebus. The official name of the Door to Hell is the Darvaza Gas Crater, and it sits on one of the largest natural gas reserves in the world. The history of the pit is somewhat mysterious, but here's the generally accepted theory. Okay. Back in the 1960s, a group of Soviet geologists identified the site as a likely source of oil and mm. began drilling. Their drilling equipment punched through a thin crust of earth and the entire camp sank, though there are believed to have been no casualties. These are lies. These sound yeah, like Russian know how. lies. <laughs> Whole they, camp sank. Everyone was safe. How? They all just sheepishly climbed out, <laughs> brushing themselves off. Like, Well, that was mistake. We, we are from Soviet Russia. We do not make mistake. Shut up. Anyone see any oil down there when we were under the... No? That's a wrap then. Let's, uh, maybe we pack it up. We will call even. <laughs> Over time, it became clear that the resulting crater was releasing dangerous gases, and scientists decided that the safest course of action would be to burn off the gas which they believed could be accomplished within a few weeks. The pit has now been burning for over 50 years, with no sign of extinguishing. One, two week, or 50 years. <laughs> Have you met Duncan McKeown? He, he is good at estimate. <laughs> Seven years to life. <laughs> now keep in mind that there has been no official confirmation of any of this from the Russian government. Uh, confirmation of what? That any of this happened. Uh, confirmation of what happened? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Which is weird, because the Russian government, historically, all about transparency and accountability. We are totally crystal clear all the time. So I have a quote from Canadian George Kurunas, storm chaser, explorer, daredevil, and all-around whack job, who descended to the bottom of the pit in a Kevlar suit to retrieve soil samples and to prove that human intelligence is highly overrated. Was it a asbestos lined or was it just Kevlar? I don't care what the suit was. Why it's for soil samples? Yeah, that's what. Are, is soil samples code for diamonds? 
No one could convince me to do this, I, no matter how much Kevlar was involved. <laughs> hey, Duncan, you see that uh, giant flaming pit? I'm going to need you to uh, lower yourself down in there, uh-huh. and uh, and I want you to get me some dirt. Do I get a flammable suit? Be a pal. Just get me some of that sweet fire dirt. <laughs> and when it's, you start to get a little toasty, let us know. And we'll totally pull you up, because... Well, I'm trust, not dead yet. Trust us. Just very badly burned. <laughs> what do you have to lose? Your life sucks. Get in the fucking fire pit, Duncan. <laughs> Supposedly, the point was to see whether life can survive down there in extremely harsh conditions. They were looking for signs of life. Because uh, we haven't been down to the hot vents in the middle of the ocean where we found out that, you know. It can. Yeah. We know yeah, it can. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also going to go with, uh, who cares? <laughs> That's, like, no one ever, no one should settle for living in that environment. Like, it sucks for them, right? Bummer. But no human should care, because what type of nightmare future are we preparing for that we're studying hell creatures and taking survival cues from them? Any life in a literal hellhole is going to be terrifying and awful. Like, what are the odds that a bacteria... Or scary ass form of life that survives in a flaming pit is not going to be hostile. <laughs> no one going in this hole has never listened to Spinal Tap. Just come on, man. Uh, yeah. Don't wanna live in a hell. Quote: When you first set eyes on the crater, it's like something out of a science fiction film. Mm. You've got this vast, sprawling desert with almost nothing there, and then there's this gaping, burning pit. The heat coming off it is scorching. The shimmer from the distortion of it warping the air around. Is just amazing to watch. And when you're downwind, you get this blast of heat that is so intense you can't even look straight into the wind. You have to shield your face with your hand just standing at the crater's edge. And, and he, that's why I wanted to go in. <laughs> he says, quote, and here I am thinking, okay, maybe I've bitten off a bit more than I can chew. So he had a brain. That's weird. But he still did it. I am not too proud to back out of a terrible idea. You can't double dog dare me into an inferno. I'd actually have way more respect for this guy if he had gotten to the edge of the pit and been like, pack it up. Maybe next year. That's warm, bro. I'm cool. True bravery is having the guts to chicken out and face public humiliation like a man. Right. But no, he did it. This man did not have the guts to turn tail and run. I was, I was going with brains, but guts, sure. Since we've already introduced Storm Chaser and Firehole Spelunker George Karunas into the narrative, Let's use his crazy ass as a segue into our next deadly location, the Nika Crystal Cave. Because obviously if there's a place no one should ever explore, we know the perfect no one who has already explored it. (laughs) Asset, step to the fore, please. The Crystal Cave is located approximately 1,000 feet underground in the Mexican state of Chihuahua. (coughs) Ironically, the largest Mexican state is namesake of the smallest dog. The the dog you can carry around comfortably in your clutch. But it is the dog with the largest Napoleon complex. Uh, So it kind of makes sense. Mm. So in 1828, a Mexican mining company broke ground on the Nica Silver and Zinc Mine, which in 1910 became known as Cueva de los Espadas, or Cave of Swords, Mm. when a cave full of three-foot-long shards of crystal was discovered around 360 feet down. And at the time, everyone was like, wow, these are some giant crystals. And not that far down. I bet we'll never find any crystals bigger than these. I'll bet you a million pesos that there won't be any larger crystals. A million pesos is probably like 30 bucks. I don't 
no conversions. I, I don't do conversions. 90 years later, in 2010, this hypothetical gambling miner would have lost his hypothetical bet when Juan and Pedro Sanchez broke through a dirt wall while drilling in the mine and revealed the Cueva de los Cristales. Mm. Picture a horseshoe-shaped cavern made of limestone, carpeted with sparkling white crystals and studded with 40-foot-high columns of selenite like spears of salt. It's very beautiful okay. and very deadly. The temperature when the mine was discovered was a balmy 136 degrees Fahrenheit, 58 degrees centigrade, with 99% humidity. And as a result, the actual real feel of the air temperature is over 200 degrees. Mm. This heat is due to the cave's location above a magma chamber. It's pretty brutal. Even when the cave was accessible, a person without equipment could only explore for a few minutes. Mm. Quote, to explore the cave, we had to wear special cooling suits with ice packs and a specialized backpack respirator that allowed me to breathe chilled air. Even with all this bulky equipment, we were still only able to stay in the cave for no more than 45 minutes at a time. Many of the crystals were so large that I couldn't even wrap my arms around them, and the terrain was so difficult to walk on that we had to be extremely cautious not to slip and fall. I love that he's like, I'm wearing specialized equipment. I have to breathe chilled air, but I still want to give this crystal a hug. Come here, crystal. You're so pretty. Like, what? All right, this is a level of stupid here. I can't, I can't what are you combat with fern, crystal gripping, firm, crystal gripping, fern fondling, tree hugging hippie. <laughs> That's a big ass crystal. Yeah, seriously, Jeebus. Quote: You could get impaled on a sharp crystal if you fell, and would require a dangerous and difficult rescue. I mean, you're already in a chamber that is 200 plus. You're wearing cooling equipment. No shit, Sherlock. Who's gonna even try to rescue you? Yeah, at that point, you're just like. That sucks, bro. Um, I'll tell your wife. Imagine being a 911 operator. My buddy here, he tripped on a crystal. Uh, uh, where, where did he trip on this crystal, sir? About a thousand feet underground. A, th a thousand feet underground, sir. It's about 200 degrees down there, so you're going to need to send uh, your best... If you have any robots, that would be ideal, actually. I'm going to be hanging up now, sir. Your friend is dead. Has Mexico developed underground asbestos robots for the rescue of... Idiots? Is that a thing that you guys have? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to say that we shouldn't send rescue parties for people who voluntarily enter death caves, mm. but it's not priority number one. If if they're working, on, if they got a kitten to rescue from a tree, like, do that first. Yeah, we'll get around to the guy who is stuck on a crystal, <laughs> a thousand feet underground. A thousand feet underground. Let's just call it what it is. He's been impaled. On a crystal dildo in an oven, a thousand feet underground. No one cares, bro. You courted that to the nth degree. Unless you were National Geographic or like... He did a lot of work for National Geographic. All right, then you kind of want to... I don't... Still no respect. <laughs> Do not care. Do not care. So the magma under the chamber was the key to the creation of all of these crystals. The magma. It rose through the subterranean layers of earth and forced mineral-rich water into the caves and caverns of limestone under the Nika Mountains. Mm. This is the chemical stew that creates crystals of sulfate gypsum, but it's a stew that takes generations to form. Mm. The largest crystals are millions of years old. Eesh. In fact, scientists retrieved dead bacteria from the surface of the crystals and determined that the organisms did not match any known genetic database. These are mystery organisms that evolved in isolation. That this idiot hugged. Also, BTW, viruses are often found in caves. 
Yeah. Preying on the colonies of unique bacteria there. <laughs> Jesus. I have seen enough zombie movies. Yep. To know how this ends. Exactement. Scientists were eventually able to actually reanimate the bacteria. Fucking why? This is zombie bacteria that will inevitably create zombies. It's zombie cave inception. All right. You know that like season one or two of The Walking Dead where they like go into the CDC and there's the firebombs that explode everything. I'm totally fine if you want to fuck with zombie bacteria as long as you decide to live, operate, and you don't get to get out of a facility like that. And that is controlled from else place. Yeah. Nobody coming in and out like once a year. I'm saying robots. This is why we need the robots. Like they're terrifying. If you've seen these Boston Dynamics robots that they're creating, they are straight up Black Mirror. But if you need someone to go into a fire pit or an underground magma cave, that's your man. Or that's a zombie your, bacteria lab. That's your bot. Right. The bacteria is pretty fascinating. With no light in the caves, there is no opportunity for photosynthesis. Mm. So the bacteria utilize chemosynthesis, generating biological fuel from chemicals in the hollows of crystals in these pitch black subterranean caves. So chemical synthesis, is that heat based? It's chemical based. Well, right, but what chemicals? Sulfur and all of the chemicals that they have access to on the crystals. That's so cool. Yeah. They're like little chemists creating, they got beakers, little tiny beakers, and they're <laughs> not that beaker. <laughs> they're creating uh, the fuel that they need to survive from chemicals. They are uh, little, they're little microscientists. All I can see is like the chemical overfuhrer of these bacteria. Mix faster. We must go. <laughs> we bacteria will rule the world. Yeah. Mix faster. Oh, look. This man is hugging us. Does he have the chemicals that we need? Hello, transmission vector. <laughs> Hello, Petri dish on two legs. Hello, patient zero. <laughs> Hello, patient zero. What is your first name? I don't care. So it turns out that the only reason the cave was accessible in the first place is because the miners had pumped out all the water from the cave because subterranean mining is hard enough without it also being submerged. But in 2015, they turned off the pumps and allowed the cave to flood once again. Hmm. Which is a shame, according to many people who aren't me. Or, you know... I think it's for the best. Or people with a very strong sense of self-preservation... Personally, I'm glad they found the cave. I think it's very cool. I'm glad they took some pictures. And they, then they should have made the sign of the cross and left dynamite for the bacteria. <laughs> Sprinkle a little holy water. Be gone, foul creatures of the depth. <laughs> Say a prayer and push a button. Yep, yep. No more cave. No more caveness. But a lot of people were super bummed. Mm. One explorer of the cave, Dr. Penelope Boston, said, quote, It is tear-inducingly beautiful down there. I wrote several poems about it, actually. Mm -hmm. Please don't read me your cave poetry. No one wants to read your dehydration, heat-induced poetry about crystals. <laughs> Keep that shit to yourself. Hard pass. <laughs> so we have mentioned Sentinel Island before. Oh, yes. In our Darwin Awards episode. Yes. One of my top five favorite episodes. <laughs> Sentinel Island is interesting to me because not only is it an extremely dangerous place where you're very likely to get murdered, it's also a great place to get away with murder. This tiny island in the Bay of Bengal in the Northeast Indian Ocean is part of a tiny island chain known as the Andaman Islands, mm -hmm. 
which are administered by India, though they are physically closer to Burma slash Myanmar and Thailand, the island is inhabited by a tribe of isolated natives, the Sentinelese, mm. who have been on the island for an estimated 55,000 years and whose lifestyle and environment are protected by law. It's illegal for foreigners to visit the island, and by longstanding tradition, murders on the island are not prosecuted. Oh my god. Tribe members can kill each other, and they can kill intruders with impunity. As discussed in the Darwin Awards episode. So if you have a nemesis that you want to eliminate, all you have to do is convince them to accompany you to the Bay of Bengal and kill them on a remote island and then escape without encountering the natives. Oh, really, Mr. Bond? That's, you wish to catch me? That's all. Follow me to Sentinel Island. The perfect crime. Just slightly complicated. You got to get to the island and then you got to not get killed by the natives. And then you got to leave before, you, you know, you get killed. But the dude's still there. And, there, you know, there are things to plan. Is your nemesis going to accept a plane ticket from you? Like You have to assume that your nemesis doesn't do research. I'm not saying it's the perfect crime. I said it, but I didn't mean it. <laughs> I mean, I said it, but I... Mm. Do you have a nemesis, Duncan? Um, we never discussed nemesis. Ne ne nemesis. Mm. Nem ne nemesis. Nemesis. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a thing. Nemesis. Nemesis. <laughs> I want to label that now. What would you call a nemesis, Munch? Um, it's not a flock. Flock of nemesis. A fuck of nemesis. A fuck of nemesises. <laughs> fuck of nemesis. The Andaman Islands have a complicated history and fraught relationship with the outside world. In 1857, India was under British rule, and an unsuccessful revolt known as the Indian Mutiny led to a large number of mutineers being banished to a newly created penal colony on the Andaman Islands of Roth, Chatham, and Viper, near Sentinel Island. Around 250 initial prisoners were dragged there in 1958 and forced into heavy labor, clearing forests and creating buildings and shelter for themselves and the over 15,000 inmates who would follow. Hmm. That's pretty harsh. I mean, yeah, but slave labor, this is about that time. Well, it's just mean. Like, I sentence you to death. Build your own electric chair. Because <laughs> we haven't really thought this through. We're more into the punishment than the infrastructure. I mean, honestly, this just sounds like bureaucracy to me. It was a harsh life. 3,500 of the eventual 15,000 plus died of illness, and many more were put to death or murdered by local cannibals. Within the first four days of the establishment of the colony, 88 prisoners tried to escape, but retreated back to the camp after being savagely attacked by the aboriginal tribes. All of the escapees who returned were executed. I mean, I would just call this no-win archipelago. Like, you're not getting out, dude. Just mm -hmm. accept which way you're going to die. Do you want cannibal? Do you want disease? Do you want work yourself to death? At least if you get eaten, you're useful. Because that's what I'm thinking about when I'm facing death. Yes, but will I be recycled is the thing. <laughs> the rest of the prisoners who hadn't attempted to escape were locked in iron collars as a result. Mm. That's not fair. It's like when your brother steals a cookie and you both get grounded. And put in iron collars. Yeah, I guess it's not exactly like that. <laughs> Analogies, not my strong suit. <laughs> Said the English major once again. You get the idea. It's, I do, I do. You got it across. It's a miscarriage of justice, is what I'm saying. It's... Keep backpedaling. <laughs> the convict settlement would become known as the British Gulag and was infamously brutal. Mm. And there were repeated skirmishes with the native tribes. I mentioned the initial escape attempt. One of the escapees named Dudnoth Tiwari, convict number 276, fled into the jungle, encountered a band of hostile tribesmen, and survived an attack by playing dead, 
suffering only, quote, wounds to his eyebrow, elbow, and shoulder. Tiwari was eventually accepted into the tribe. He learned the language and married at least two of the tribe's women, possibly up to five, his accounts vary. Mm. But a year later, when he found out that the tribe was planning an attack on the penal colony, he snitched to the British, abandoning the tribe along with his wives, one of whom was pregnant, and the attack failed. This motherfucker. The tribe's men were massacred during the Battle of Aberdeen. Mm. Battle, kind of a charitable description. <laughs> Misnomer, really. <laughs> the natives were armed with arrows and spears, while the British jailers had guns. Yeah. It didn't last long. <clears throat> Tiwari was pardoned by the British for his heroic treachery. <laughs> and became a pseudo-celebrity by publishing accounts of his adventures. Mm. Some great uh, morals in this episode. This is really just solid grounding in uh, treachery and great, uh, some great lessons. Yeah. Don't try to demand freedom or basic human rights unless you want to be banished to a brutal penal colony. But if that does happen to you, you can always redeem yourself by betraying the locals and profiting from disloyalty. Not to mention fucking the locals quite literally and leaving children in your wake. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a given. That's, <laughs> well, duh. You got to franchise. You got to traumatize the next generation and create more misery down the road. Absolutely. During all of this chaos, the inhabitants of the nearby Sentinel Island remain disconnected and aloof. There have been efforts to reach out to them over the years, but they've resisted attempts to get them to assimilate, murdering visitors from the outside world and possibly still engaging in cannibalism. Mm -hmm. There are also concerns that their extended isolation has left them without immunities to common ailments, and any contact with the outside world could be devastating to their population. In 1956, the, quote, Andaman and Nicobar Islands Protection of Aboriginal Tribes Act was passed to establish... <laughs> Despite its incredibly long and verbose name. I would have voted against it just based on syllables. Uh, what was the name called again? The Andaman and Nicobar uh, Islands no, Protection. No, I'm voting no. <laughs> Original. It's ridiculous. Go fuck yourself. Go I, fuck yourself. It's a well-meaning... But clumsy. Wordy. <laughs> wordy. We'll say wordy title. At least make it an acronym. Come on, man. The A-A-N-I-P-A-T-A. That's not a good acronym at all. Make it something like the Tribes Act. T-R-I-B-E-S. Find something. The To rescue uh, indigenous... Bastards. At all. <laughs> yes. Not yes. E -A. Oh, sorry. E-E-S. My bad. This is why we're not politicians. <laughs> So the act was passed to establish a five-mile buffer zone around the island, which is intended to protect the inhabitants as well as potential visitors. Mm. But as we noted in our Darwin Awards episode, not everyone has a well-developed sense of self-preservation. Or brains, yes. Two fishermen were killed in 2006 for invading the Forbidden Zone, and most recently, Christian missionary John Allen Chow was killed in 2018 for being literally too stupid to live. <laughs> As we as we covered. covered, still makes me giggle. I'm I'm a bad person. We'll move on. <sighs> and on that high note, <laughs> feel free to send us an AMA question. We will release that as a bonus episode. It will be a free bonus episode that will come out in between episodes. So it will go out to everyone. It's not going to be like a you know behind a paywall or anything. This is just a bonus episode we want to put out because I've gotten a lot of questions. But I don't want to take a whole week's episode to just talk about us fair so we'll just do it as a little bonus yeah because we've got time nothing but time so again rate rep review instagram tell a friend all of those things and as ever and for always knowledge is power
Sleep is overrated.